Our first reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, starting with the first verse. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that is used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. We live in interesting times, right? Politically divisive, even volatile times. Every week it seems like there's some new story from the political world that's severe and unprecedented and no one can get along one another to save their own life, much less for the sake of someone else. Well, it turns out there's nothing new under the sun, and at least broad strokes, these stories have been told before. And we're continuing in our series that we've been in this season, though we're sort of in an intermission. Jesus is taking a break from the parables about the coming judgment of the world, and we've transitioned to a new letter from Paul. He starts this one off the way he does most of them, by gushing over the intended audience. There's some commendation, as in advice on how to live as Christians already, but 
we could boil that little bit down to, I've heard good things, so keep doing what you're doing. And this intermission we're in is going to last a little bit. We've got two special Sundays ahead of us, Reformation next week, and then All Saints, before we will finally circle back to finish off the church year with more end-time parables from Jesus. So we can take a little bit of a breath, uh, with this little bit of a pause, and wonder why this little bit of a debate in Matthew is important enough to warrant such an intermission. Well, for one, it lands right there in the text. We have picked up right where we left off last week. We had the vineyard tenants, you know, the ones who killed the owner's slaves and son. They were punished and kicked out. Then last week, we had the party guests who ignored the host's invite, also killed those messengers, also besmirched the son, and then were punished and replaced. And now this conversation, Jesus is just going to have a talk with Herodians and some students of the Pharisees. And as long as we've got the Herodians and the Pharisees in mind, let's give an honorable mention to an important group that's not listed. So you might have thought of them already, because they get tagged on if we play that word association game. When I say Pharisee, you say well, the Pharisees and the fill-in-the-blank, the Sadducees. Now, the reality is the Sadducees only make a handful of appearances in the Gospels, much fewer than the Pharisees. But for the sake of this review, they are worth an umbrella term that was sometimes used for the people who practiced the Jewish religion in that time and place was Israelite. And that appears to be about the only word that was broad enough to encompass all the Jewish practitioners. There were different groups under that umbrella, different factions. We might say denominations, so not quite like Christian denominations. But maybe if we go back in time a little bit to when your denomination was also your voting block and even before that, when a country's allegiances boil down to their, the religion of their leadership, including the denomination of their king, say, then yeah, it's kind of like that. So let's get our honorable mention mentioned first. The Sadducees had control of the temple in Jerusalem. They only acknowledged the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as scripture, and they were cooperative with the Romans who occupied the land. It's possible that their name is from a major priest, uh, Zadok, the first high priest uh, under Solomon. Unsurprisingly, uh, they put a lot of emphasis on temple practice. They were content to keep the temple as the center of Jewish religious life, <clears throat> excuse me, as like the thing that had to be protected and maintained in order to practice religion the way they wanted to. Even if they disagreed about a lot of the rest, Right? books of scripture and how to relate to the Romans and so on, they at least could agree on that. The temple was important. Next up, we have the Herodians, also very rarely mentioned in the New Testament. These guys got their name from the local Roman governor or other set of rule. See, it gets a little bit confusing. <laughs> Two different Herods appear in the New Testament. The one who's king when Jesus is born in Matthew is not the same one who has John the Baptist beheaded. And there was at least a third Herod during that time period. Herodians were loyal to the Herod of their day, cooperating with Rome. They tried to build a religious identity with one foot in each camp, a little bit Jewish, a little bit Roman. And then lastly for today, the Pharisees, literally the separatists. They did not get along quite so well with the Romans as the first two groups. 
They argued that Jewish practice was a matter of individual uh, practice and the local community. Rather than emphasizing the temple so much, which they still viewed as important, they would rather see, or at least also see, local leaders, say teachers, in a word, rabbis, who are well-informed about the biblical laws, and then they ensure as best they could that everyone else kept those laws. So they didn't think the temple was quite as important as others did, but they also weren't as concerned with Roman culture either. They saw their Jewish identity as a practice done on the individual level and in small communities. It's interesting that, on paper, the Pharisees sounded an awful lot like Jesus, but nevertheless, they disagreed enough to find themselves at odds often. And being at odds was no small thing. These people were occupied by the Roman Empire. They never assimilated. The dynamics changed over time, to the point where we can't say too much without oversimplifying things, but it is safe to say that the relationship was always tenuous. And these factions were divided largely over how to live in light of their oppressive occupation. To what degree should they Romanize? What aspects of their religious, ethnic, and national identity are so important that they cannot be let go of under any circumstances? And then where does everything else fall in between? And it's that tenuous, even dangerous mess that Jesus gets dragged into. Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? I'm struck by how differently we might hear that question today. Right? Some taxes are the heart of their own political identity, and this is a fundamentally important question. But for others, taxes are just such a you know, matter of life. They kind of fade into the background. It seems like a, a bit of a meaningless question. But again, for Jesus, it's a trap. The Herodians would have answered yes. Of course it's okay to pay taxes because that's essential to this tenuous relationship and dual cultural identity that they were building. The Sadducees, we can bet, would have answered no. The most conservative among them would not have even used currency with any human image on them, and it appears one compromise made between the Sadducees and Romans was to use the Roman coins, but not in the temple. What would the Pharisees have said then? they probably would have sided with the Sadducees. They probably would have said no. Now, that's a ton of context to give for such a short text, especially for just one question. But we need that context in order to understand that this isn't just a contentious conversation between some theological rivals trying to get more disciples from one another or from the crowds. The Pharisees sent some of their people and the Herodians to ask this question, knowing that if he answers yes, he will be considered a traitor among most of the Jewish people, including the faction with the influence in the temple and the faction with influence out in the small communities, like Sadducees and Pharisees. But if he answers no, he will offend those Herodians and become an enemy of the state. Whose bad side do you want to be on, Jesus? There had already been riots over taxes like what they're talking about. This is a deeply embedded, heated debate of both religious and political proportions. And it seems like there's no answer Jesus could possibly give to please everyone. Maybe we should read this around Thanksgiving instead of Halloween, because we've all been there, right? Some religious or political matter comes up, and there's no pleasing everyone, so what do you say? 
Well, Jesus masterfully, yet again, escapes the trap with a bit of a dodgy answer. He asks to see a denarius, which has a picture of Caesar on it. There's an image in the background here if you're watching on video. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's got his name, his title, his picture on it. And then give to God what is God's. That is an answer that just begs for us to put our own opinion on it. You think taxes are good? Well, good news. Jesus said to go ahead and pay your taxes. You think taxes are bad? Well, maybe Jesus was being a little tongue-in-cheek because everything belongs to God, so that second answer kind of negates the first one. But maybe Jesus means just keep your head down. Don't rock the boat too much. Just work on your relationship with God. It's better to have a community that's a bit compromised by the evils of the world than to have no community at all. So pay your taxes, but remember God is in charge. Now, I dare say all those ideas are maybe in the ballpark, but they miss something. They miss this point, the point that Jesus sees a politically and religiously divisive climate. He's asked a charged question. They're trying to entrap him and he doesn't fall for it. I don't know if this is as much about the answer itself as it is about Jesus. He doesn't take a stance. He doesn't really take a side, even though both sides want him to. This isn't to say there are no important issues, right? Jesus takes strong stances on a number of issues. Some, are, some of his stances are the traditional conservative sort, and others are the radically new sort. But he can discern what is adiaphora, that concept we looked at again just a couple weeks ago, the things that literally make no difference, the matters which do not pertain to our salvation and therefore are not a good enough reason for division. At least, they shouldn't be. Now, one last little bit of context. By the time Matthew is written down, that tenuous relationship had broken down. The Romans responded to a Jewish rebellion by sieging Jerusalem and destroying that temple. Now, this helps to explain why there's so little mention of the Herodians and the Sadducees, because by the time the Gospels are written, their factions are more or less a matter of the past. Without the temple, the groups that continued to stay active were those that did not emphasize the temple as much. The Jesus-following Jews, of course, were the start of the church we now call Christianity. The Pharisees' way of doing things, communities led by local leaders, teachers, rabbis, was the beginning of rabbinical Judaism, or what we would just call Judaism, who again share an awful lot on paper, the Christians and the Jewish people, but disagree about some important matters as well. So what about us today? Well, we could reiterate the importance of being intentional and deliberate about the things we choose to fight about or choose to let go because they make no difference. There are matters which, because they have so little direct impact on us or because they really just aren't all that important, we should not be fighting about them no matter how much we disagree, much less dividing over. We could also take some note that our divisions are, at least sometimes, differences of opinion on how to make the most of a bad situation. 
knowing that there's no perfect solution out there at all, we pick from the list of somewhat satisfying answers. Is that worth being hostile to one another over? But for my part for today, it's about that offhanded possibility I said we might read into Jesus' response. It fits with what's coming in 1 Thessalonians, and it fits with so much of what Jesus says elsewhere. We Christians are called to balance this tension between keeping our heads down as far as the worldly, material, political matters are concerned, to just focus on ourselves, our community, our relationship with God, but at the same time to live holy lives, enact justice, advocate for the poor and the disenfranchised. Right? It's two different things. Worry about your relationship with God and the church. Don't worry about the political climate. Don't worry about changing anything out there. But on the other hand, we are called to change some things, to work for justice and mercy in particular. Now, I fear that our modern factions, our Christian denominations, are split along that line. How to handle that tension? Some of our denominations, ours included, are very concerned with social justice, while others believe that the salvation of an individual soul is all that really matters, so all we should be focused on is converting as many people as we can, calling them to the altar, calling them to baptism, you name it. That division, as if it were all one way or all the other, is a disservice to the gospel. That's not something we should be divided over at all. We should each be concerned with justice, and we should all be concerned with salvation. So I will just leave you with that. If you feel the factions in your life pulling you in two different directions, there are at least some divisions that you don't have to accept. And chief among them is that last example, that we are to push for justice and mercy and more in our world, whether that's political or not, and we are to give focus to the salvation of the world, to draw as many people to Christ as we possibly can, even if that means sometimes we back off on the worldly political stuff. It's a tight rope that we walk, and there is no simple right answer. No matter how much one camp or the other would like to make us believe their way is the only way. We are called into this muddy, nuanced, complicated world where there are no simple answers. All right. End of this part of our intermission. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>